This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Okay. Abstract jazz. <laughs> is it the same music every Yeah, time? it's the yeah. same theme song. Nice. Yeah, it's the same. I think I got it from Carrie. Um, you watch uh, Homeland? Oh, no, no. Carrie, like, jogs to this type of, like, oh. crazy abstract jazz. <laughs> I can't believe, really, she works out to abstract jazz. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Ages and Icons. I'm Mike Crislago, arts and entertainment editor at Zoomer Magazine and everythingzoomer.com. <laughs> and I'm Gina Bucci, Mike's hero. <laughs> I Did the second time we're doing know? the intro the intro I've almost screwed up my title twice every time I say it Arts oh no you did screw it up oh, twice. that's true that's true <laughs> it wasn't perfect Mike there was a little flub there um take nine yeah. no let's not let's well, just uh, jump right into the yeah, show we're a little I think tired from last week that we had our big Oscars podcast last week and then staying up late to watch the Oscars, I think by the time we finished covering it, it was almost 2 a.m. Yeah, check uh, out at the our, magazine. Check yeah. out our roundtable uh, where we got all of our predictions completely wrong. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> air, 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 totally which, wrong. Which is sad because it was like the most predictable Oscars. Like almost everybody in the major categories who won leading up to the Oscars just won again at the Oscars. Right. Yeah, I know. So it serves us right for trying to like be original and go out on a limb. We always... Uh, at Zoomer talk about the boomer moments and the, the Zoomer moments at, on these award shows. And Frances McDormand... Um, My spirit animal? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. We, we were talking about this earlier. Like, she is... Out of all this, the stars you see on the red carpet, she's the one who seems to try uh, the least to glam it up, to wear, like, the over-the-top dress and the hair and the makeup and look like that traditional, like, glamorous red carpet. And she steals the show every time just with her personality. It's, I think it's incredible. this time... I think this time and this time only, she actually ran her fingers through her hair and like, <laughs> maybe I'll have some kind of style. She's above it. That's yeah. it. She's she's evolved past yeah. um, past all of the 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 makeup and, and all of that prepackaged stuff yeah. that goes into presenting yourself at the Oscars. I think Streep is also above it as well. Yeah, and yeah. you know what? They've earned it and good for them. But I mean, like you talk about ages and icons. They look amazing. Mar- um, Frances McDormand has like a James Dean cool about her in a sense. She's not standing there in like <laughs> so the leather cool. jacket, but like she's so badass. Okay, so if you uh, want to take a listen to that podcast from last week uh check us out on soundcloud at everything zoomer please make sure to subscribe to us and subscribe to us on our youtube channel at everything zoomer all our podcasts are there right right well all three (laughs) this will be four i guess before we're getting up there we're getting up there yeah we're starting to pump them out every undetermined amount of time (laughs) Um, but the oscars are behind us uh and we're looking forward yeah, we are. We're looking forward to today's doubleheader, which is, speaking of Oscars, um, Donald <laughs> Sutherland and Christopher Plummer. So, yeah. Well, I mean, aside from being legends of the industry and uh, legendary Canadian actors, uh, it's funny, like, they don't, you don't see them on screen together, like in projects. They've never been put together, but um, they both actually play J. Paul Getty. In, in relatively new projects with uh, Plummer obviously was nominated for playing Getty for In All the Money in the World, gets a Best Supporting Actor Oscar nomination. And then Donald Sutherland uh, is in a new movie, a new television series, sorry, that's coming up on FX starting, uh, I believe it's March 25th. It's called Trust. And right. he's also playing uh, J. Paul Getty 
also telling the story of the Getty uh, kidnapping of his grandson, just like all the money in the world did, uh, takes a bit of a different tact with it. Um, portrays it. I don't want to give away any spoilers or anything, but portrays the kidnapping. Have and you seen it? I, I have. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it, but I, I know enough about it. I don't want to give any spoilers, but it does take a different tact than the movie All the Money in the World. But it's just kind of funny that um, Plummer and Sutherland uh, are both playing Getty at the same time. It. In at the same time, sort of, you know, within months of each other. Uh, so uh, tell us a little bit about your Sutherland interview when you met up with him. What do you look like? What was going on? Well, uh, and it's sort of the focus of the interview that we're going to be hearing on the podcast today. Uh, I did the interview back in TIFF uh, 2017 uh, here in Toronto, uh, the Toronto International Film Festival. And oh, because <laughs> nobody knows what that means. <laughs> no, in case, if you don't know what TIFF is. My, my, <laughs> no, there's some guy at home thinking, did he get into TIFF with Donald Sutherland? <laughs> he fought Canadian icon yeah. Donald Sutherland? I heard it on Zoomer. It must, yeah, no, it, <laughs> the Toronto International Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so he's in a new movie called The Leisure Seeker, uh, Donald Sutherland is. You say leisure or leisure? I say leisure. It's leisure. It is it leisure? Yeah, is one me. of them Canadian and one of them American? One of them's wrong. One of them's right. It's leisure. <laughs> of course. <laughs> According to me. Your hero, Mike, as we already established. Well, if you look at, um, like we just talked about Christopher Plummer and Donald Sutherland. In this movie, it's Donald Sutherland and Helen Mirren, which is also a pretty amazing combo. Oh, she looked great at the Oscars with Jane oh, Fonda. My God. Oh, God. Doing the, the prize presentation, too, <laughs> with this jet ski that came out. Yeah. I mean, Helen Mirren is, the uh, best. is yeah, it, she's ageless in a sense that doesn't matter what age you find her. Yeah. She could be seven or 72 and she'll be, a, you know, remarkable on screen and, and amazing at what she does, you know. Um, but anyway, uh, I digress. In The Leisure Seeker, they play a couple. Uh, Donald Sutherland's character suffering from dementia and um, Helen Mirren's character suffering from cancer. And they just sort of want to break free of their constraints, of their medical bills and, and doctor's appointments and stuff. And they take off in this camper van that they own called the, the Leisure or Leisure Seeker, mm-hmm. if you will. And uh, they just take off on one last road trip, sort of uh, one last uh, you know, ride down the highway before they take the big ride, so to speak. Oh, Oh, Mike, so, that's, <laughs> that you just was, almost made me cry. No, come on. That. that was so clumsy. You should write great. You should write blurbs <laughs> for movie studios. <laughs> um, so, yeah, anyway, it, it was it was really cool. It's a really uh, fun movie. And, and it's it's a comedy. It does. It, it's one of those movies that treats looks it. looks like a dramedy to me. Like it looks drama. a bit like a drama. Yeah, of course. I mean, they're both dying. So in a sense, you know, it's not laugh out loud necessarily, but they make it lighthearted. And there's a thing about making movies about aging that address the real issues of aging, like, you know, sometimes people get sick, but not making them depressing or, um, you know, just bummers, you know, like yeah. it's, it's a it's a hopeful movie. And in the interview, uh, Donald Sutherland and I sort of talk about that a little bit. And I mean, the, the thing that came across in, in this interview, uh, to me, at least there, he's so I mean, he's so vital. He's still. So good. I think there was a time and and different people we've interviewed at Zoomer have all said this, different actors and actresses, that they refuse to be pigeonholed as like grandparent characters. You know, Um, Martin Landau specifically told me that during an interview once that he refuses he refused to play the grumpy old man. And so I, I just find it fascinating. So the man who uh, won the Oscar for playing Bella Lugosi, a <laughs> grumpy, th- the definition of grumpy old man yeah. in Ed Wood. He was the best. Well, we, we interviewed after that movie. Uh-huh. So from then on, no more it's grumpy like old man. It's like I'm done. Man. I won the Oscar yeah. for it. 
So, Mike, tell our audience about the connection that Sutherland has with uh, this year's Oscars. Yeah, the, um, the other connection with Plummer and Sutherland is that they were both sort of featured at the Oscars this year. And uh, for Donald Sutherland, it was about uh, getting his honorary Oscar. He's never even been nominated for an Oscar, which is, I mean, when, when you think about Donald Sutherland and his career, that he's never even been nominated, it's crazy. So um, anyway, yeah. You'll, yeah, you'll hear in the interview, we actually talk about the exact moment that he found out he won the Oscar. And it's a really sweet story. So uh, I'll let Donald tell that story, though. Okay, so here is Mike's interview with Donald Sutherland. Well, first of all, congratulations on the film. I Thank really you. enjoyed it. Yeah, me um, too. So did I. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did. I mean, I, I don't normally see pictures that I do, and my my kids insisted that I go with them on Sunday. So I yeah, the acoustics weren't all that great, but uh, but, but I saw it. Does it? I mean, is there a reason you don't like watching yourself? Yeah. Just the same reason none of us it's like a, watching. It's yourself. a long story. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I can I can easily watch rushes pieces of stuff you know, but I can't watch it when somebody else puts my life together. Right. I mean, if I were to ever have a biography, it would be me who wrote it, not somebody else. Right. So I'm curious, what attracted you to this particular role? Well, it was there. Um, it was offered to me. Uh, I liked Paolo Virzi's work. I liked human capital a lot. Um, I admired it. I, I thought Stephen Amidon's script and his novel Human Capital were just great, really great. Infused with intelligence and sensibility. And, um, and Helen Mirren, I love, adore, yeah. admire, treasure, cherish. Absolutely. Uh, it's interesting, of course, with Zoomer. I mean, this is the sort of film that we love because it talks about the realities of aging and, uh, and struggles and also joys. Uh, and so I'm just curious how you feel about, you know, the importance of such films like this that, that are honest um, but aren't, you know, so down. There's, there's a hopefulness to it. There's a hopefulness in being old. You know, I mean, if you get out there a little bit, if you stick yourself in a corner and don't move, you stay in a chair, it just gets worse and worse. But if you if you provide yourself with some element of pain, I'm 83 years old, and I work, and I work because it's a passionate endeavor. Uh, and if, if older people do that kind of thing and do some level of, of passionate work, I don't know what it would be like to retire, but uh, I guess if you, if you, just so long as you, you don't give up. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, Helen Mirren had a very sweet quote about how she enjoyed uh, doing this, making this film with you, and spending hours in the in this camper van with you. And uh, so I'm just curious what it was like, uh, just the two of you and then the crew in there filming. You know what that experience was like. All I can tell you is that one day we were driving along the road and they were filming behind us. And I turned to her and said, what if we just go? And she said, could we? And I said, should we? And she said, probably not. And then we accelerated and suddenly the radio is going, slow down, slow down. Donald, you have to stop. <laughs> so uh, 
the temptation was there yeah. always. Yeah. <laughs> and she likes the idea, Helen, of, of getting a camper and going. Yeah. The problem is the campsites. You know, you want to go somewhere where you're alone. And normally you're not. It's hard. Mm -hmm. um, I think watching this, anyone of, of any age would love the idea of just escaping. Uh, and you just mentioned, you know, just put the pedal to the middle. I, I don't think it's... I think it's less escaping and more pursuing. I think they're, I think they're looking for something, yeah. looking for something, you know. They're look, looking for an element of themselves, and they find it. Yeah. Absolutely. And well, I was wondering where, you know, if, if if you could just put that proverbial pedal to the metal. I mean, wh where would you go in that camper? Tuscany. Yeah. That's a, I completely agree with you. Actually. That's my favorite Just place. In the and world. then I would drive really slowly. All oh look, Enoteco Pinciari. Do you think we can afford to eat there? Probably not, but let's try. <laughs> Maybe we could have a salad. Is there a connection to Tuscany that you have? No, just. Um, just a love of it. Yeah. Love of, you know. When you uh, take roles, I love Provence. Oh yeah. And I, uh, I love Tuscany. When I take over, but uh, well, when you take a role like this, uh, I'm wondering how much research you do, and sort of maybe what research you did uh, to portray a man going through dementia. Um, it, I, it's, it was a little weird, my research. I didn't quite. Think, I, I, my mother had dementia. My uh, my uh, accountant had uh, Alzheimer's and died of it. Uh, about two months ago, um, but I went and spent time with him. Um, Arthur Erickson, who had the great, great, great Canadian architect, who was a friend of mine, uh, he suffered from memory loss, you know, and, uh, amyloid plaque, protein plaque, coming in blocking things, you know. You've just got it, and then three hours later, suddenly it will be there. It's right in front of you. Ah, you know, Aeroflint, I couldn't remember that. Okay. Uh, and, um, but what probably the most influential aspect of, of my preparation was a, an organization called Pines of Sarasota. I think that's the name of uh, um, and they train caregivers for Alzheimer's and dementia patients. They have courses, you know, um, video demonstrations of how you approach someone. And by studying that, I got the reverse, it was like a kind of reverse technology. And uh, as a result, I didn't I don't think I did, and when I watched it, I, I thought I had succeeded. I didn't car caricature, caricaturize the uh, whatever aspects that might be indications of. Uh, I, 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 he just seemed real to me, you know, John, and 
I like I liked him. Yeah. You know, I like him a hell of a lot better than I like myself. Does playing such a character and uh, you know his pursuit does that make yourself as the actor consider your own life and your own pursuits and what you still sort of look forward to or goals? You'd hope so, wouldn't you? <laughs> Regrettably, no. Uh, you would hope so. You'd hope that I would learn something from something that I never do. I just uh, keep going as if nothing's going to change and then a foot falls off. Um, when you look at roles uh, in general, like going forward, what sort of characters have maybe you never played that you would like to play? Not a specific name of a character, but a type of person, or is there anything in particular? I don't think in those terms. No. I think about directors and filmmakers and writer. So they say dye your hair, cut your hair, shave your beard, Getty is this. So I do a lot of research about Getty. Mm -hmm. uh, I know a good bit about him from his books that he wrote or had ghost written. No, I think he wrote them. And his passions, his obsessions, uh, his, his relationship with numbers particularly, but money, it's obsessive. It's obsessive. Well, I probably have to ask you the question you've been answering all week uh, about the honorary Oscar. Um, and congratulations, first of all. But inevitably, there will be discussion around the Oscar about your legacy and, and your body of work and your life. And so just from the man himself, I'm curious what you consider your legacy in this. I don't industry. consider it. No? But, but uh, uh, John Steinbeck got word that he had received the Nobel Prize because he and his wife were sitting in their apartment in New York watching Good Morning America or something like that. Maybe the Today Show, I don't know which one. And they said, John Steinbeck has received the Nobel Prize. And somebody else said, why would they give it to him? He hasn't written anything. So they get the news and then they get all this, you know, um, it has not been like that for me. It has been the most encouraging, wonderful. When 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 uh, I, I was Francine and I, uh, my my wife, uh, we were in uh, in Rome because I'm shooting uh, the the parts of of uh, and so so uh, um, Getty spoke many languages. So these scenes in Rome are all in Italian. Non importa quale impero. I maia, i greci, i romani, alla fine, non resta altro che polvere. Successori, you know, that, so those are scenes that he's doing. And earlier, they were in Chinese. So there's all that work wow. into it. But so we're sitting on the balcony, um, and it's a balcony about this big, because you've got room for yourself, a room for a table, and your feet are on the thing, and the rooftops of Rome are there, and the sun is going down, and it's, it's beautiful. My phone is there on the thing. And uh, we have a bottle of aquapana, which is flat water, and uh, two plates of uh, spaghetti marinara. And the phone rings. And so I answer the phone and I say, hello? And a voice says, Donald, it's John Bailey. I haven't heard from John Bailey for 30 years. AB photographed ordinary people uh, 37 years ago. 
And uh, I said, hi, John. And he said, I have been made president of the Academy. I said, congratulations. He said, no, no, no. I'm phoning to congratulate you. Wow. You know, it was thrilling. Yeah. And I said, uh, speak to Francine. Spoke to Francine. <laughs> and uh, then uh, we hung up and ate spaghetti marinara. For a guy who was never nominated to be given this honorary Oscar, I don't know if it really comes across in the interview, but in person, he was getting really teary-eyed talking about that moment that he found out, you know, talking about eating the marinara with his wife and getting the phone call. You know, it really meant a lot to him, which was really sweet. I was so thrilled for him. Okay, let's move on to your interview with Christopher Plummer. Yeah, um, Christopher Plummer, just a little background. I interviewed him, I believe it was 2015. It was for um, for Zoomer, and we met at a hotel downtown. It was, again, during TIFF, uh, and he was in this little hotel bar, which had a raised area, which was like a stage, so it was kind of fitting. He was the only one up there on this stage. And um, i got to be honest, you know, there's not really anyone that I can think of that I've interviewed that I've been intimidated to talk to. But Plummer's a little intimidating. Oh, for sure. He's, I mean, he's one of those guys, he's he's brilliant, one of the greatest actors of his generation, number one. Uh, and number two, he's respected by everyone. And number three, he doesn't take crap from people. You know, he's not out there to try to get media or try to get attention, right? So if he's not happy with your interview, as you can find examples of, I think, kind of on YouTube, you know, he'll tell you. Um, so, yeah, we, we sat there and uh, at the time... Christopher Plummer was the oldest Oscar winner ever when uh, we had done the interview. Right. He had won in 2012 for uh, Beginners, Beginners, which I know is, you love that performance as well, right? Beginners yeah. is the best movie audience. Yeah. You need to see it. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, and he, and he played, uh, I mean, he was 82 when he won. He, he mm-hmm. played a man who was sort of coming out as gay to his family, right? He mm-hmm. won Best Supporting Actor. So, uh, yeah, we so at the time of the interview, we talked about that. And uh, just, uh, you know, a little bit of everything. He turned out to be a super sweet guy, super charming guy. And um, also just for anyone who doesn't know this already, that year was the 50th anniversary of The Sound of Music. And of course, you know, he's one of the stars of it. And everybody was talking to Julianne. No. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <everybody laughs> FYI, he has, a, he has a part in it. Um, but he, he famously doesn't like that movie you know he doesn't like his role in the movie he doesn't he's not a fan of musicals yeah uh and he even called it the sound of mucus which is harsh yeah which which is which which is why i was like afraid to ask him about it he started altering his actually what he says about that movie he says now it's his part that he right not the movie itself i think it's because he started to realize how beloved the movie is and exactly and he's like it's not going away (laughs) right imagine exactly imagine like judy garland or the tin man from Wizard of Oz was like trashing it all the time and you'd be like all right relax it's a really good movie well the tin man is trouble so (laughs) so let's jump right into Mike's interview with Christopher Plummer I have to tell you that when I saw Remember at uh, the, the screening, um, the, the film ended, and for the, the first time I've ever seen it where nobody got up, and this is all just press, who, you know, they're usually in a rush to get back to work, and instead they just sat there sort of stunned. Um, so, uh, I just, all right, hi, thank you. 
Thank you. I want to congratulate you, first Thank and foremost, it's such a brilliant film. Um, I was speaking with Martin Landau, your co-star, and he was saying that he felt that this was, uh, as, as you were filming, it was either going to be brilliant or it was going to be just some melodramatic mess. Did, did you feel that it was sort of walking a line there? Thank you. Do you want anything? Um, I'm okay with water. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's what I meant when yeah. I said it's a, that kind of challenge. You don't want to make it self-pitying. So, and he doesn't. He doesn't. In fact, he doesn't know where he is half the time. Yeah. He needs, he needs to refresh him. He needs his friend's note to him so that he can remember what his project is. Very interesting piece. And uh, a wonderful cast, and I'm thrilled Martin was in it. Yeah. And uh, I know, I think the thing is, you can't talk about it that much because the element of surprise is always is always in the story, no right. matter what happens. There's, it's always a surprise. Right. So we, we can't talk very much. <laughs> I've been telling people that they have to see it, and then they ask me yes. what's so good about yes. it, and then I say, well, I can't tell you. You just sort of have to trust me that you need to see this film. So it's going to be an interesting review to write. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> um, the role was really interesting. It almost seemed like you were playing two different men in a way. Yes, yes. It, it is two different. I felt, I felt I was two different men, actually. Yeah. The one that's the memory loss, which makes you totally anonymous. Right. Obviously. Horrible to look forward to that. And, uh, and the other sort of terrible kind of revenge that stirs the blood and keeps you going, no matter whether you know who anybody is or not. Um, very uncertain man. And uh, to entrust him to do that, to do what he did, that's quite something. There's a strength to him too, though. Yeah, that he gets through it all. He never really seems to want to give up or just say, "I'm tired or scared. I want to go home." Well, he has nothing else. Right. His, his wife died some time ago, and he thinks he's half the time he thinks she's still alive. Right. There's. Um, Almost two stories sort of being told here, and two important topics uh, discussing sort of mental health and um, and age-related mental illness, and then also, uh, of course, the Holocaust yes. and, and remembering that uh, atrocity. Is it important? Do you think that we explore these sorts of themes in, in films today? Yes, it's always important. You can't do it. You can't do it enough. Yeah, because the public. Most of the kids today haven't, haven't a clue what, what any of that is. Right. And, and they don't even know who the Prime Minister is. Maybe it's just as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so it's important always to remind them, and you can say the Holocaust is overkill, but it's not. It's not it can't be. You can't do it enough. Absolutely. And this was, in a sense, not a Holocaust picture. No. no. But um, it just happened to it's a, it was a new look, I thought, on, on, the, on the Holocaust problem. You know, I, I, was, I was thrilled. Was, it, I enjoyed it very much, but yeah. you can't say you had fun, but it was fascinating. Right. 
um, Mr. Landau was saying that he will go out of his way to avoid roles that he gets offered where it's about a cranky old man yeah, or something. Right. Um, I was wondering about uh, the types of roles that you get offered, and do you look for particular roles, as certain challenges, and avoid other stereotypes like that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I, I don't think I've fallen into a rut yet. No. No. <laughs> But I do, you're absolutely right. I always look for, it, for something, the next role to be different, as different as possible. Right. From the one I just did, you know. And, and as far as sort of subject matter, you're open to whatever comes along as long as it's different? God, yes. I have no sort of bigoted opinions about anything. I, I'm free choice, free yeah. choice. Uh, I found it interesting, a comment that I had read, uh, you had mentioned that your mother had predicted your success in a way as an actor, but she had told you that it was going to come later in life. Yeah, she was, so, yeah, well, that was, she thought it was going to, I'm sure she thought it was going to be soon. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, I, 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 I've been successful since I was in my 20s. Right. But, you know, a lot of people think that the, that award is the be all and the end all. That just comes nicely at the end, towards the end of a career. That's all. <laughs> I, yeah, that's a, sort of. I wanted to touch on that too, because a, a lot of people will look at your career and they'll look at the Oscar and they'll say, "There's a there's a renaissance of sorts in your career now." A lot of people say, are sort of recognizing you more for your work and your, your talents. Do you do you see it that way at all? That it's sort of. Well, I've always I've always been terribly lucky about about that because I've been honored. Many, many times. Yeah. In the in the theatre, particularly, and and uh, I had my whole life in the theatre <coughs> has been rich, and that's what counts because that's where all the great roles are played on stage, not on the screen. Uh, and uh, no, I I think I balanced it nicely with screen and stage, so I don't feel in any way that. Regretful or anything. Of course, yeah. You uh, you noted once that after you got your first Oscar nomination for the last station, that you you started to get offered a few more. It seemed more distinguished projects. At least. Well, no, I've had some very nice projects offered me since The Insider when I made that film with um, Michael Mann and Al Pacino and right. Russell Crowe. It's a good movie, and um, the minute that was out. The scripts started to come in more artistic, better written, at a higher level. Yeah. So I'd already been doing fairly well, right? As far as good scripts were concerned, and it just was a slow rise. Is there? I mean, why would you have such a history, like you said, on stage, and there was no secret your talents? Well, why does it take sort of a performance like that for people to start sending richer roles your way after so long? Not there, but don't forget that the early days, one sort of was a kind of leading man on the screen. There's nothing more boring than a leading man. Yeah. And I couldn't wait till I was a character actor in my in my forties. The, the roles immediately got more interesting and, uh, and more diverse. So it was really in the 40s that on screen, I, uh, in my 40s, that on screen I, I started to improve 
be a happier in my, in my work. You had uh, the big Oscar win in your wonderful speech, asking where she's been all your life. Um, when, you, when you look back on that, is that a, is that a meaningful moment for you? Or, or? Oh, of course it is. Of course. I mean, it's a huge honor. And, it, it, and it, it's, it's nice to be recognized by your profession like that. But then so is a Tony, so is an Emmy, so is all of them. You know? <laughs> uh, but it was nice to come when it did. Yeah. And I, I was talking to Peter Mansbridge today, and I was saying that, that uh, <laughs> I can't remember what I think of what I was going to say. It'll come to me. Carry on. <laughs> uh, I mean. After you're, you've done everything that you, you've done in your career, people inevitably talk about legacy and, and what your legacy is in, in this business, as an actor, as a performer. Do you ever think about that in terms of what you've done and what people will remember There's you for? no time to think about that. No, no, I just keep on doing it. I, yeah. And if I, it looks like a rather barren year as far as film is concerned, I'll go back into the theater. Right. And I'll now write something like I wrote my own one-man show that I do. You know, every now and then. The last time I did it was in LA last year, yes, a year ago. And it went very well. So I always fill my time, and then when, I, when I'm not working, I play tennis, I go to, I play the piano, because I play the piano in this right, movie. Right, beautifully, yeah. Um, but nobody gave me credit for it, so the audience will, will think somebody else played. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make sure to mention that it was you. Yes. <laughs> no, it was beautifully done, yeah. And it seems, I, I, it seems that uh, when I talk to people about legacy, and, you know, most people who are very active in their career, they don't think about it. They don't, they don't sit down and think no, about what they're... No, no time. Right. No. You, just, you want to relax, you want to go on to other things. And, and that always enriches you anyway, if you go on to other things and read more, and, and you come back with more knowledge, and, and uh, it enriches your performances. Uh, you mentioned before that uh, some of the greatest roles are in theater. Yeah. Have you, do you look for roles in film that can match that? Do you ever look for that one? Well, one has done them. Most of television can, can do them. Yeah. Because television is a talking medium. Yeah. And so great writing can, you know, after the theater. The next stop is television. The screen is about visual, and the less talk, the better. Yeah. That's why, again, I like to remember, because the, the conversation was down to the essentials. It, it, there was no elaborate speeches, and there was too much going on to express it, except in a very few words. Um, it seems that in recent years there have been better roles that have, or, or meteor, richer roles that have come across for actors in their 60s, 70s, 80s, just sort of in general. That you may not have seen something like Remember 20 years ago, or, or they would have had a 30 year old dressed up to be a little bit older. So Do you find that to be the case? That better roles are coming along? Uh, just in general for people of a certain age? Notice that particularly. Perhaps so. I think yes. I think older people are now more respected yeah. uh, a 
actress and, and, and in other professions. I think there's another look at the age thing. For a while it was totally, everybody was totally indifferent to the aged and their problems. No, no, well, we're living longer and we're all on drugs and we're having a ball. So we're hiding our age better and uh, threatening to go beyond a hundred. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yes, I, I, I agree with you. I think that, uh, the aged are, are being uh, looked after better right. in, in the theater and in movies. I'm curious when you, you step on stage uh, and take on a role, do you get the same thrill now or, or the same jitters that you did when you were younger? Oh, a thrill, yes, absolutely. Oh, God. The idea is that you want to entertain them. You, you want to. That's the you want to show them that you that this is what I think is it is. Um, I feel exactly as I did as a child. More so now than in middle age. You know? Yeah. <laughs> We're going back to our senile years. That's <laughs> fun. Um. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, um, well, I mean, 2010 Beginners debut at TIFF, and you also celebrated your 40th wedding anniversary. Yes. Okay. So, big year for you. Um, yes. You've talked about sort of your marriage and, and your wife and how she's helped you along in your career, and I was wondering if you could sort of, you've always given her a lot of credit for oh, sort of helping you. Oh, she Absolutely. Um, can you talk a little bit about how she's helped you to be where you are today and, and been able to have such a... Well, first of all, she has an enormous taste. And she's a voracious reader. I mean, she she can read three books in a week, and and retain everything and remember everything. She's amazing, and so she she reads a hell of a lot more than I do. And I read very slowly. She reads very fast, and she also is a wonderful cook, which I've mentioned before. Right. So she's kept me in very good shape because she cooks well balanced meals, and she knows and still makes them taste like top French cooking or that, but using no, you know, butter into, by cutting corners, she can make the meal taste great and not be fat at the same time. It's amazing. That's amazing what everybody's talent. striving for today. Yeah. That's all you ever hear. Tastes great and low Well, fat. James Beard, I think she was very influenced by James Beard when, when he became world famous early on. Uh, he taught people that organic was the right thing to do, and you can still prepare it in the same way, only using less. Right. Uh, and, she, and again, the taste. She had enormous taste to that. And if she found that I was doing something a little sort of flashy or ordinary, she'd pick me up on it. You know, she was very, she was very quick. She had a great friend. She's my best friend in 45 years, please. Is that the secret to the sort of... Well, also the fact that we knock in each other's hair. She has so many resources of her own that we can part during the day and then get together for dinner and talk about it all. We're not in each other's pockets. Couldn't be more boring and kills marriages. No, it's it's been terrific. Very lucky, very lucky. It's a wonderful story, and um, I, I know you've talked about retirement in that you don't see yourself retiring. Uh, no. Do you still maintain? Oh, but, but, but 
yeah. even if I wasn't, I, nobody retires in our profession. Right. I mean, we just go on to the job. And uh, thank God, because my memory is still pretty damn good. I don't have problems, real problems yet. And, and uh, acting is learning all those lines. It keeps the brain, you know, in rehearsal, actually. Right. It, it helps keep it alive. Um, Yeah, I have to tell you, when I, I didn't get a chance to see Barrymore on stage, I saw the film version, and um, oh, yeah. uh, I magnificent, I loved it, but you also, uh, your portrayal inspires uh, myself, and I, and I think other people like me, to want to go out and learn more about this person that you're portraying. You know, I want to read John Barrymore's uh, biography now and, and learn more about him. Do you ever think about your impact on the, the next generation and sort of what the, the lessons you're leaving behind? For no, I don't think about that. I just know that I want to do it. I want to do the best theater possible. And, and Barrymore happened to be well put together. And we all worked on it, including not just William Lewis, who wrote it, but all, all three of us, Gene Sachs, the director, Bill, and myself. It was a wonderful learning experience and a wonderful, because we took it all over the States right. and Canada before going to Broadway, because we were working on the show constantly. And I think we managed to give it a nice depth that it was missing at the beginning. Yeah. It was just a bunch of gags <laughs> when it started out. Yeah. Um, and he's famous for his gags. But now we found some sort of pain behind it, you know, so there was, a, there was a nice contrast and enough to make it entertaining, and it certainly worked. Does um, having a, a career where you've been successful allow you at a certain point to sort of take on projects like that? Uh, or nowadays, if you want to take on a theater project that maybe you wouldn't have been able to do when you were younger, just either financial freedom or creative freedom, people have to trust in you now? Yeah. Yes, I do. You know, up to what you were saying earlier, I do do things with a slight sort of lesson in mind. My, my one-man show is, a, is about great literature, and literature that I was lucky enough to know since I was a kid, and it changes right through my life. And I take I would, autobiographical kind of journeys off, and then I do a piece from this and a piece from that, and then I go back to the to the uh, to comments about how I reacted to it as a child or youth, and uh, it's important because I think it brings those young people who are, it, it makes them realize that in, in this oh, these awful sort of Twitter years that we live in beauty of language is ignored totally and uh, and it's so important because it's so important that we've inherited it we've got to use it you know? there's enormous beauty in it. an artist like yourself you have uh, such great stories to tell and even your autobiography you talk about people that um, as you're saying young people today may not even know uh, actors and performers uh, and it's just really interesting that you can uh, you're not a historian talking about this you live this and you can give first hand knowledge I think that's just very fascinating to be able to get that from a person who lived it yeah. um, 
we, uh, of course, <laughs> I was talking to Adam Egoyan and I asked him his first memory of you and he says, well, you know, it was that movie. And, uh, of course, meaning The Sound of Music and, and everybody who, uh, it seems when I was watching people interview you on uh, the computer, everybody always seems very cautious about mentioning <laughs> this to you. And, and I almost sort of got tired because you always seem to be very jovial about it, but, or at least, you know, accepting of it, but uh, people always seem to, to tiptoe around it. And they're quite right, and they should. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they should tiptoe right out of the friggin' room. Yeah. <laughs> is it okay to ask about the 50th anniversary? <laughs> yeah, and, and it's gone. Yeah, that's not news. It's not news, but is it? I mean, is it incredible to you that people still care about this movie? That they're still watching it and it yeah, means so much to them? <laughs> yes, it is. Except that it's the only family movie out there. Yeah. Name me another one. There's, there've been attempts. Um, but they've all got an edge to them because suddenly they get scared and say, oh, we've got to be a little... We can't be too innocent. Too. Yeah. Well, let's make it a bit naughty, you know? And so then it doesn't become a family film anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's about the only true family film that's running. Because right. there used to be family movies in the 40s and the 50s. The Sound of Music is a sort of all-time family movie. It's got everything. Um, it's, got, it's got a wonderful score by Rodgers and Hammerstein. Nothing wrong with that. And uh, I just didn't think my part was very exciting. That's, that's the only thing. When people say, oh my God, oh my God, you're so wonderful in that movie. I want to say, oh, it's all. <laughs> they have no idea how I loathe playing <laughs> I adore Julie. She's an old great friend, and she was marvelous in it. Because I mean, it was the closest thing to being absolutely nat bare natural. But she she'd been up to that point. She was, she was really herself on the screen, and I was I was happy to be playing with her on beautiful Eleanor Park. But um, don't ask me about poor old Baron von Trapp. No. <laughs> kind of, I always tell this story. You probably know that a cousin of his in Austria <clears throat> worked with uh, Pumice Stone. He was a sort of kind of mason preacher. He worked in the fields, and they took me to meet him. And he, I didn't speak German, and he didn't speak English, so we had an interpreter. And uh, I said, well, you knew uh, your uncle, uh, Baron von Trapp. Um, can you, in a very short, tell me what you, what you thought of him? And there's a long pause. And the journalist said he was the most boring man of ever. <laughs> said, thanks. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Yeah. It's, it's just remarkable for someone who has played so many classical roles and so many brilliant performances that it's that thing that I know. so many people know you for. Well, yes, you, you can't help that, can you? I mean, that's the world saw that movie. The world doesn't come to the theater, sadly. I agree. And all the best stuff that you do. So people, some people have seen it. Yeah. That's good enough. <laughs> But uh, you don't get that sort of adulation until you do a blockbuster. And uh, no, I have no. I'm grateful for it because it was it enabled me to afford to do 
things that I wanted to do. Good table at a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so interesting to look at your work over the years that you, there's really not a medium, and, and I mean with sound music you got musicals in there, so there's really not a medium you haven't really gone into, even, you've even done voice work for video games. Actually. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, are there um, are there other goals that you have career-wise? Things that you'd like to try that you haven't done yet? Well, of course, I've always wanted to to be a pianist, and I did study, and I wrote, uh, but there's no time. God, I should have done that one 500 years ago. But I'm glad I didn't because it's very. My cousin's a concert pianist. And she's a very good one, and she travels all over the world, but her life is very lonely. Yeah. And uh, it's not a gregarious profession like the theater is. I mean, we interact with the audience, the actors. And when you play the piano, you, even though the audience is there, your concentration is so huge on the, on the, on the, on the fingering. But I would have loved to... Yeah. sort of shared the two professions equally, you know, it would have been great. I've got to make sure that that credit goes on the right. screen. <laughs> Bravo. Good job, Mike. Did you? I, I really enjoyed that, actually. It was really funny, especially the way you, uh, let's just let's just be Like honest. how I cowered around the, the subject of the sound of music. How you asked yeah. about sound of music. <laughs> yeah. That was art. Just, I'm just saying, Mr. Plummer, other people are really afraid to ask you about this. So uh, any thoughts? You know, that was my uh, About those my people? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, remember, it's them. It's not me. I, I don't care about the sound of music. Uh, no, that was really cool. Yeah, he's, he's a really, uh, he's a fun guy. One thing that I found really interesting about him that he mentions in the interview is that, I mean, here's a guy, uh, now he's 88. Uh, he was up for, we, like we said, the Best Supporting Actor at this year's Oscars. He still looks like a matinee idol in a way. Like, he still has those, like, those good looks of a, of a leading man. And he always has. And in the interview, he talked about how he always wanted to be the character actor. Like, for anyone else, the, the good looks, the leading man would be like, perfect, there's my ticket. I'm on my way to Hollywood. For him, he was like, you know, damn my good looks. I want to be the character yeah. actor. I don't want to be the, I don't want to be Romeo all the time, you know? like Curse you, yeah. gods who gave me these gorgeous, gorgeous look. Damn but, you these know, dreamy eyes. That's what aging, I think, has done for him. Uh, if When you look at his career, he's getting a lot of great character parts, starting with his Oscar win yeah. for Beginners and other roles as well. Um, when he got older, I, I started to notice him again uh with the, I think it was 90s, I can't remember the year, but when The Insider came out. And he's in The Insider. Oh, yeah. Mike yeah. Wallace. Yeah. He's great. And I was like, well, Christopher Plummer is actually a terrific actor. Because yeah. um, I'd only known him from Sound and Music at yeah. that point. And um, I think that him his aging has actually made him, he finally fits into that yeah. that sweet spot of good character, meaty character roles that yeah. he loves to play. And he's he's knocking them out of the park. Right. And, and it's a time where he doesn't have to, as we said before, you know, play the, the grumpy old man characters all the time uh, like they used to make people his age do. And, uh, and also, like he mentioned, a lot of his greatest roles have been on stage, you know. And if you don't go to the theater, you don't see some of those, you know, roles that he would consider are the greatest of his of his career. The other thing that I just I really liked about his attitude was, you know, uh, asking about his legacy and and um, you know what what he thinks of his career and what he what, does he contemplate it and he says you know he says I have no time there's no time to do that I'm busy there's stuff to do I have jobs to do I have work and I just I love that idea you know that you know he's in his mid eighties 
and he's he's so active and he's just looking forward all the time. He's not sitting there looking back or resting on his laurels. He's always moving forward, and I, I think that's you know. Hopefully, we can all be like that at, at that point in our Oh, yeah, lives. and have that work ethic, he said. Yeah, exactly, and whatever we do, yeah. He said as long as he can memorize lines, uh, which is, uh, you know, no one ever told Marlon Brando that because he used to famously <laughs> put cue cards everywhere. Uh, he would write lines on people's heads in scenes. <laughs> yeah, towards, I've heard of that, yeah. I was going to say toward the end, but no, this was like uh, Godfather time, and yeah. uh, this is like height of Brando Absolutely, yeah, Luca Brazzi standing there with a cue card in his hand off camera probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, oh, you heard some of the stuff with um, Apocalypse Now, how they would they would do the Apocalypse Now. They would write on uh, uh, Martin Sheen's forehead. They actually write on his yeah. forehead. Yeah, you can find all of that in the uh, the director's cut of Hearts of Darkness, Yelena Coppola doc. <laughs> can you imagine? Um, but um, no, uh, Plumber Rocks. Mind to steal, bought to steal. That's why Mike was so intimidated by him, right, Mike? Yeah, I'm still intimidated. I'm still sitting here speechless. He's like, yeah. what if he listens to this? I'm scared. No, no, no. Yeah, you know what? It's he's got that steel glare, but when you sit down and you talk to him, he's he's total like totally nice guy. Oh know? yeah, it's it's all just an outward. I think it's probably a Hollywood protection thing, you know. You know, else is a nice guy. That's Mike. Aww. And you and you can find Mike's articles. <laughs> Uh, inside Zoomer magazine, of course, this month, Oprah Winfrey's on the cover. Yeah, big, big. You get yeah, a magazine. Yeah. You get a magazine. <laughs> and, um, uh, of course, is uh, he writes other articles for the web, for our, our great new revamped website, everythingzoomer.com. And uh, please subscribe to us on SoundCloud. Uh, you can find us under Everything Zoomer, all one word. And same thing with YouTube, Everything Zoomer. Please subscribe, like our channel, like our stuff, and we'll keep bringing you new stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you like us because we like you. Nah, I don't know. It's a strong word. I don't really know <laughs> our audience. Ouch. I don't know. They could be twisted, which actually would make me like them more. I hope they are. So, you know, this has been a great episode. Yeah, it's our first double header episode. Yeah. We're done. Awesome. Well, thanks, uh, of course, obviously, to Donald Sutherland and Christopher Plummer for their time. Gina, of course, for your time. Yeah. And everyone out there for your time for listening. Thanks very much. And we'll see you next time on Ages and Icons. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.